Please take your Bibles and go to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, if you're visiting with us, um, there's a card there. You can fill that out and put that in the box there in the back and or on the table in the lobby, but there's also a black Bible in a chair in front of you. You can pull that black Bible out and <clears throat> go towards the back and find page 78 of that black Bible, 78. John chapter seven, John's gospel chapter seven, verse 53, John seven fifty-three. We're gonna do seven fifty-three to eight eleven. Oh, we didn't sing happy birthday to Shauna. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Shauna. Happy birthday to you. Oh, look at you're turning red. Oh, you're like, like Allie's red sweater. Wow, cool. Okay. Kaylin wasn't here. Where was he at? Uh, so now that's on the tape, that's cool. Um, John 7, 53 to 8, 11, this little uh, bracketed section in John's gospel. Uh, let me read and then we'll jump in and study. And each one went to his home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, excuse me, and early in the morning, he again came into the temple and all the people came to him. And sitting down, he taught them and the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and setting her in the midst, they said to him, A teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Therefore, what do you say? And they said this, testing him in order that they might have grounds to accuse him. But... Stooping down and with his finger, Jesus wrote on the ground. Verse 7. And as they persisted asking him, he straightened up and said to them, The one who is without sin among you, let him be first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard this, they went out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman uh, being in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Didn't no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, no longer sin. In Iran, it is standard practice for families of murder victims to oversee the execution of the murderer of their family member. They're also given the choice to pardon the offender. Such was the fate of a young man who had already served seven years for killing 17-year-old, I'm probably going to botch up these names, Abdullah Al-Najid in a street fight according to the Associated Press. In May 2014, Samare Ali Najid watched as a noose was slipped around the neck of Bilal Ghassari, her son's killer. This was her chance to have the vengeance she'd waited seven years to have. But instead, 
she and her husband stepped forward at the last minute and removed the noose from his neck. Gasari's death sentence was commuted and he will finish serving a 12-year prison sentence instead. Now that's forgiveness. And yet how much greater it is for us who should be sentenced to hell forever. But Jesus grants us forgiveness, but he grants us even more. John's gospel is come and and receive Jesus, come and, and know Jesus, come believe Jesus, trust Jesus. And today we see in this section, come, be forgiven and freed. Come, be forgiven and freed. Come, Jesus will forgive you and Jesus will free you. Come, be forgiven and freed. Jesus, the merciful judge, graciously grants us forgiveness by taking our judgment upon himself and then frees us from a life of sin. That's what this passage is about. He's the merciful judge who graciously grants us forgiveness. And he can grant that because he took upon himself our judgment, our condemnation. But then he also frees us from a life of sin. Jesus is the merciful, compassionate judge of us all. And the only judge who is without sin. Yet on behalf of sinners, the judge takes on himself the condemnation required by his own law. He takes it on himself. Where we should be condemned, Jesus does not condemn. Instead, he grants us forgiveness and calls us to righteous living, which is living under his law with him as our focus and with him as our joy. That's Christianity. That's the, that statement is the heart of the gospel. This is the epitome of grace of love, of mercy and compassion. The sinless judge takes on himself our judgment to save us so, can we, so we can live in freedom by sinning no more. Free to live, free to love, free from every plan of darkness. I'm not as dumb as I look. There's a reason why we sang that song. Jesus, here's some other statements for you. Jesus is the true judge, the very finger of God and his people. As his people, we live under his mercy and under his law, which is to go and sin no more. Now we can freely choose to not sin. We can freely choose to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. So enjoy having been set free from the law of sin. You see from this passage, Jesus is concerned 
with our selfish sin, selfish entrenched sin, only he can help us. We can't save ourselves. We should be judged, condemned. Only God can save. And the demands of God's law are, as one writer put it, quote, drenched in the grace of the cross of Christ, end quote. And it's this grace at the cross that drives us to embrace righteousness. It drives us to live in righteousness, or at least it should. His gracious command, go and no longer sin. Now, before we get into the passage, if you notice, in this uh, section of John's gospel, this section is bracketed. Brackets at the beginning of verse 53, and at the end there of verse 11, chapter 8, there's textual issues with this passage. So let me put it to you um, succinctly and then unpack that more for you. So in a succinct way, this section, it most likely does not belong in John's original gospel. It most likely was not in John's original gospel. Now, don't be alarmed by that. There are variances in the Bible. They account for less than 1%. What is it? Uh, in just the, New Testament alone, just the New Testament alone, there's over 5,000 different manuscripts. Just the New Testament. We're not talking about the Old Testament. And of those 5,000 manuscripts, we are over 99% sure what the original said. That's a big deal. And for this section, earlier manuscripts even some later manuscripts, either omit this section completely or they mark it with a little asterisk or a little marking to make the reader or even the copier aware that it was added later, that it wasn't part of the original. Uh, and some manuscripts, this section 753 to 11 is actually at the end of John's Gospel at the end of John's Gospel. Some manuscripts actually have it after Luke chapter 21, verse 38. And now that's what's called external evidence for why it seems like this section was not in John's original Gospel. Now here's some internal evidence. Several expressions and constructions in these few verses, 11, 12 verses, are not Johannine, not from John, but are those that you would find in the synoptic gospels, especially you'd find these, uh, this language and these constructions in Luke's gospel. And my personal opinion is I believe this actually belongs in Luke's gospel. That's my personal view, and others hold that as well, not just me, but others, but I, I, I go with what they say. I think it should go in Luke's gospel, but even though it's most likely not in John's gospel, we're gonna treat it with respect and that it was a true story, but maybe it should be placed in Luke's gospel and not in John's. So that, that puts the timing a little bit different. It most likely occurred during Jesus' last week if it was in Luke's gospel in chapter 21, just before his passion. 
So it's in that last week um, after Palm Sunday before he resurrects from then in that last week. But be that as it may, let's go through the text and work through the text and see what God has to tell us from his word. And there's three aspects I want you to notice from this come be forgiven and freed. First aspect, notice the judge's law condemns. The judge's law or the law of the judge condemns. Chapter 7, verse 53 to 8, chapter 8, verse 6. 753, they went to their homes, the departure of the priests, the Pharisees. If it's in Luke's gospel again during the week of Passover, that's what's happening. But, but Jesus, notice chapter 8, verse 1, he went to the Mount of Olives. Much more commonly seen in the Synoptic Gospels. It's, it's never put in John's Gospel. But then from there, early in the morning, in verse 2, notice, Jesus went into the temple to teach all the people. So he's there teaching. And again, if it's, it is during the Passover feast, many people are present, many people are there in Jerusalem. Then notice what happens in verse 3 of chapter 8. Scribes and the Pharisees. Notice the scribes first. Another word used in the synoptics, not in John's gospel at all, except for here. These scribes were lawyers, um, theologians, and they were jurists as well. Did it again, didn't it? Hurry, hurry. I'm not having anything for a while, so you're good. They would give legal backing to their scheme of trying to trap Jesus. So these scribes and and Pharisees, they interrupted Jesus' teaching by bringing a woman caught in adultery. Again, verse 3. They brought a woman caught in adultery and setting her in the midst, they said to him, verse 4, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, notice she was placed in the midst. Now, remember Jesus is teaching the people so she was standing in the midst of the religious leaders and the crowd, so of everybody, in the midst of all of them. So this was a total setup. Teacher, another um, title that the synoptic gospels use, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Nicodemus used that to be polite. He didn't really mean it. He was just being, just deriding Jesus and demeaning Jesus. Teacher, This woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Yeah, right. So we're left wondering, where's the dude? Where's the guy? Where's he at? Either he took off and escaped. I don't think so. Or these judges were chauvinistic focus their verdict upon her with no regard for the man. In the very act. Mm-hmm. Look at verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Well, actually, that wasn't what God's finger wrote for the people If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, and Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, both the woman and the man were to be stoned. 
Plus, stoning was only to take place if the woman was a virgin. Deuteronomy 22, verse 23 and 24. Oh, and notice this too. Who said to stone such women? We should lynch this chick, Jesus. What do you think? Here's the irony. They're going to tell the law-giving judge the law? Really? How ironic. They had no idea who Jesus was. They had no idea of his mission. And yet it's true. This woman should be condemned. In that sense, they're right. And, but notice the true purpose comes out, verse 6, and they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds to accuse him. The narrator tells us their true intentions. It was to trap Jesus. Their focus wasn't really her necessary, but Jesus. She was on trial, but really Jesus was on trial. Because if he sided with Moses, he'd be in trouble with Rome because you're not supposed to stone and kill people without Rome's approval. If he sided with the woman, well, then he's condoning what she did. You see what they're doing? Try to trap him. But here's the reality. The reality is this. The law of God judges us all. We should all be punished and condemned. Period. We all stand condemned. We all should be punished. There's none righteous, not even one, says Paul in Romans 3. You don't deserve anything from God. He doesn't, he's not obligated to you in any way. Why do you think he is? He's not. As I said, the, the points, the judge's law condemns. But notice the second aspect here. The judge's law condemns to the judge who wrote the law condemns all. And I'll put the judge or the perfect sinless judge who wrote the law condemns all. Because notice what happens in verse 6 of chapter 8, the second part of verse 6. But stooping down and with his finger, Jesus wrote on the ground. He wrote in the dirt or in the sand. It was almost like he ignored everything that you said. Aye, aye, aye. And the focus is not so much what he wrote, but more he wrote on the dirt with his finger. So they're trying to pit him between Rome and the law of Moses, and yet it was Jesus who gave Moses his position of authority. Because remember, Jesus is the Word made flesh, God in the flesh. Oh, and as a matter of fact, it was Jesus' finger that wrote the law, not Moses' finger. The, see, there's a play on words here when it says, when the, the narrator says, with his finger he wrote on the ground. Why? In Exodus 31 verse 18 and Deuteronomy 9 verse 10, the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. So the narrator was pointing out to his readers that Jesus was God made flesh who wrote the law. It was his finger who wrote the law, you clowns. 
So what was he writing on the ground? Nobody knows. It's that phrase. Hmm, don't know, don't care. Why does that matter? That doesn't matter. Don't try and, these commentators are, well, he wrote, nobody knows, it doesn't say. So I want to say what he wrote on the ground. Nobody knows. What matters is that he wrote on the dirt with his finger. That's, the narrator's trying to get you to, to, to think about God writing the law with his finger. And then from verse eight, he's gonna go back to write in the dirt. And it's used to emphatically show that Jesus is the true author of the law because it was his finger that wrote the law. And he condemns us all because look what happens in verse seven. As they persisted asking him, he straightened up and said to them, the one without sin among you, let him be first to throw a stone at her. They were becoming annoyed that Jesus seemingly was ignoring them. So the one without sin, throw the first stone at her. Go ahead. A forceful command, not just, oh, let's get that. No, he was forcefully commanding them. Go ahead. Let the judgment begin by the one who was not guilty of this particular sin. Uh, Deuteronomy 13, verse 9. Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. The witnesses to the sin were to be the first to throw stones because they've not been participants in the crime or in the sin itself. But see, it's not just guilty of this particular sin, but Jesus was saying, of any sin. Any of you who are without sin, period. Who's the only one without sin? The judge, Jesus. He's the only one. Only Jesus is without sin. This, this broke right at the hearts of these pompous, arrogant, self-seeking, Jesus-hating, legalistic religious leaders. No care, no mercy, no compassion. And then he just, verse eight, goes right, right in the dirt with his finger to lay that guilt heavy upon their conscience. And then notice what happens, verse nine. And when they heard it, they went out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And remember, this would consist not just of the religious leaders, but, but also the crowd. Because of that phrase, in the midst. And those who left, they knew they weren't without sin. It starts with the older ones. The young one's like, oh, I'm good. Why are they all leaving? Oh, I guess I'm not. That's what happens. The older ones knew their sin. And then notice the emphasis here, and he was left alone. And the woman being in the midst. This emphasizes that only Jesus himself met those very qualifications. Only he's without sin. Only Jesus, the true judge, is without sin himself, and only Jesus is the true judge who judges us all. He can judge us perfectly because he's the perfect judge. 
He judges everyone perfectly because he is the perfect judge who wrote that very law. Because we all fall short. And there's the woman left alone who hadn't moved an inch. She's just standing there. She didn't move at all. And then you have this third aspect here, which is so key. The third aspect, the judge forgives and frees condemned sinners. The judge forgives and frees condemned sinners. Verse 10 and 11, straightening up. Jesus said to her, woman, and this is the same word that he used with his mama in John chapter 2. And it was a way to distance himself from her. And yet he came to her defense, but he wasn't really on her side necessarily. This shows how Jesus can embrace our sinfulness but not endorse our sin. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? The perfect judge of being curious, maybe even sarcastic here, where they go? Now, he didn't believe the woman was necessarily innocent. He never said that. She should be condemned. She should be judged. But where'd all the accusers go? Did anyone condemn you? She said to him, no one, Lord. No one was there to condemn her, but who? Jesus, the judge, the perfect judge, the sinless judge, the judge who wrote the very law. Mm. Verse 11, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Even though I can, because I'm the perfect just judge of all mankind, I do not condemn you. And here is the great paradox of the gospel. God does not condemn us because Jesus, the true just judge, takes that condemnation upon himself for us. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. That's what we celebrate in the gospel. You don't pay for your sin. You can't pay for your sin. Well, you can. It's called eternity in hell. That's how you can pay for your sin. But Jesus takes that on himself. Jesus came to save the world and forgive sinners, showing them mercy by taking upon himself their very sin. He takes it upon himself so that you can be forgiven. me. forgiven means the, the sin is taken away. It's taken away. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. That's why if you're here, you don't know Jesus, you should come to Jesus. You should repent. You should trust Christ. He'll take your sin away. He'll free you. He'll, he'll take that condemnation upon himself and he brings forgiveness and mercy and compassion. Come and Jesus will save you. That's why God can still be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus because Jesus takes that justice on himself 
justice and mercy, righteousness and love, all in one act, Jesus on the cross. That's what we celebrate. And then, and then, and then, and then, go from now on, sin no longer. No longer sin. His great compassion merged with His great command. Go and sin no more. Be free and live, live as under my law, Jesus says. God's grace is seen in Him not condemning us and also calling us to live in freedom. His grace to forgive us and His grace to free us from sin so that our only worshipful, thankful, joyful response to God's forgiving salvation is a future pursuit of purity and godliness. We sin no more. We can actually say no to sin. We can actually say yes to doing what's right. Not because we have to. It's a worshipful, thankful, joyful response to the forgiveness that God has brought to us in Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Or that in him we may be the righteousness of God. That's why we read that. That coincides perfectly with what we're seeing here from the passage. We're reckoned with God's righteousness because Jesus took upon himself our sin. This is the gospel of love. This is the gospel of grace and mercy. Praise the Lord. And this is how we deal with each other in the church body. This is why we can deal with sin within a church body with grace and mercy. Where there is sin in the body, we show grace and love to forgive. And we can do this because of God's grace to us. But we also call each other to go and sin no more. That's how we bring reconciliation. It's how we bring forgiveness. It's how we bring a, a rectifying of these relationships where the conflict that happens in these relationships, they can be built up and strengthened. And we magnify the gospel. When skirmishes happen in marriages between the, the, the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, and then they can able to be, come back together and bring forgiveness is because of the gospel, because of Christ. That's why I can forgive her, she can forgive me. That's why you have that in the church body. That's how we deal with sin. That's how we should deal with sin, right? And the, as a community, as the body of Christ, where we should be condemned, Jesus does not condemn. Instead, he grants us forgiveness and calls us to righteous living, which is living under his law with him as our focus, with Jesus as our joy. So, Jesus is the merciful, compassionate judge of us all. And the only judge who is without sin. He's the only one. Yet on behalf of sinners, the judge takes on himself our very condemnation as required by his own law. Jesus the merciful judge graciously grants us forgiveness 
by taking our judgment upon himself then frees us from a life of sin. And I, that's why I thought this would be perfect to celebrate the Lord's Supper with this passage in mind. If you're here, you're not a member of this church, but if you come from a church of like faith and practice, and we would prefer you're baptized by immersion, come from a church of like faith and practice, celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. It's for you. If you don't know, Christ is not for you. These are for Christians to remember what God has done for us in His Son. What the Father's done for us in His Son. And I would also say, if you're a Christian, you have something against another believer, or non-believer for that matter, something against another believer, you can't let go of that, and there hasn't been reconciliation trying to happen, maybe you shouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper. Wait. Try and reconcile with that person. If you can't reconcile, that's only all you can do. If you tried to reconcile or you did reconcile, then come back next time, which we'll do, actually not next week, a week after, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper again. You can take it then. But this is for us to celebrate who God is and what he's done. The identity of Jesus and his mission. So let's take a moment, let's pray, asking the Lord to work in our hearts and to thank him. We thank you, Father, for your perfect word you have spoken we as your people have heard we want to respond in a worship thankful joyful way so thankful for your forgiveness and we will come to the Lord's table we know we're not worthy we come we examine our hearts and we know we're sinners and yet we thank you that you bring your forgiveness and grace. And we remind ourselves once again of our fellowship, our communion with you. We repent and we put all our hope in you, Jesus, because only you can save. Only you have forgiven. Only you have freed us. Remind us Fill our minds with this truth this morning, we pray. So I encourage you, take just a few moments, minutes, a couple minutes, to fill your mind with truth, with God's word. And we'll sing and we'll set everything up for the Lord's Supper, how we'll do that, but just take these few moments. Focus your heart and your mind, your soul upon the truth of the gospel with such thanks, worship, a joyful response. Let your mind be filled with truth. Please do that now.